Hey, Adam Smolcom here, lead pastor of Vive Church. Welcome to our podcast. I pray that God will speak to you through the message today and that a greater level of faith would be unlocked in your life. God bless. Let's get to the Word of God. Today, we are gonna open our Scripture. So why don't you open to Acts chapter 12, just for a second, and uh, let's set a bit of a, a, a tone for the topic today in our series, Where the Hell is Heaven? Acts chapter 12, and let's go to, let's go from verse one. Let's read the whole thing. About that time, King Herod Agrippa began to persecute some believers in the church. He had the Apostle James, John's brother, killed with a sword. When Herod saw how much this pleased the Jewish people, he also arrested Peter. This took place during the Passover celebration. Then he imprisoned him, placing him under the guard of four squads of four soldiers. See, that's 16 guards on Peter. Herod intended to bring Peter out for public trial after the Passover. But while Peter was in prison, the church prayed very earnestly for him. The night before Peter was to be placed on trial, he was asleep, fastened with two chains between two soldiers. Others stood guard at the prison gate. Suddenly, there was a bright light in the cell and an angel of the Lord stood before Peter. The angel struck him on the side to awaken him and said, quick, get up. And the chains fell off his wrists. Then the angel told him, get dressed, put on your sandals. And he did. Now, now put your coat on and follow me, the angel ordered. So Peter left the cell following the angel, but the, all the time he thought it was a vision. He didn't realise what was actually happening. They passed the first and the second guard posts and then they came to the iron gate leading to the city and this opened for them all by itself. So they passed through and started walking down the street and then the angel suddenly left him. Verse 11, Peter finally came to his senses. It's really true, he said. The Lord has sent his angel to save me from Herod and from what the Jewish leaders had planned to do to me. When he realised this, he went to the home of Mary, the mother of John Mark, where many were gathered for prayer. He knocked at the door in the gate and the servant girl named Rhoda came to open it. When she recognised Peter's voice, she was so overjoyed that instead of opening the door, she ran back inside and told everyone, Peter is standing at the door. You're out of your mind, they said. Silly little girl. I added that. <laughs> when she insisted, they decided it must be his angel. <laughs> Peter, meanwhile, continued knocking. When they finally opened the door and saw him, they were amazed. Last Sunday, we opened up this series looking at the unseen realm. Today, we're gonna go a little more detailed and we're gonna look at angels. Today, we're gonna talk about angels. Anybody ready to get the angelology on today? All right, all right, well... Prepare your hearts and prepare your minds. Find four people around you and say, I'm so glad you're coming to Amen Conference. Go, 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 go. I'm so glad you're coming to Amen Conference. Wouldn't be the same without you. Would not be the same without you. Amazing. Thank you, worship team. Outstanding. Outstanding. Angels, angels, angels. Anybody ever... Experience something you couldn't explain? Anybody think they've ever had an experience with an angel? Got a few hands. Wow, okay. Hello, hello. Don't have time to hear your stories, but we'll take your word for it. I remember for me, when, when, I, when we first moved here and we were first starting the church, I, would, I was like, literally every day, I'd meet people, maybe 10, 12 people a day for, for coffee meetings, you know, trying to, pretty much convinced them that this is going to be a great place for them to be at church. And uh, back then, I really didn't even know the Bay Area that well. And, and, and this one day, I had a meeting with a guy who came to our church that Sunday. And, you know, we really got on. We had a great conversation. I said, hey, let's catch up for coffee this week. And he was down for it. He said he works up in the city. And I was like, that's cool. I'll meet you in the city. I didn't, at the time, realize how long it took to get to the city and to get a parking space in the city. So by the time I got to the meeting, I was running a few minutes late. First thing I said, I said, look, I apologize for making you wait. Have you been waiting long? He said, no, no, not that long. In fact, I was just meeting with my angel. And I, I really thought this is the time to just back out of the meeting. You know what I mean? Like, this ain't really the church for you, bro. Uh, I was, but I, but I, I entertained it. I said, oh, 
do you meet with this angel much? <laughs> and, and he said, actually, this is the first time uh, we've met. I was like, oh, um, hmm, uh, what does this angel look like? And then he looked at me really strangely, like a normal person. I was like, oh. And then he looked at me and said, I'm talking about my angel investor. Got it. Welcome to the Silicon Valley. Okay. Got it. Got it. Got it. Let, let me be sure today that you know what kind of angel we're talking about. We ain't talking about your venture capitalist. We, we, we ain't talking about your funding manager. We're talking about spiritual beings today. Right, just to make sure you know you're not in a tech startup conversation, tech meetup today. This is the church. You know, last week we, we opened up a conversation, some teaching around the unseen realm, but we took a really broad look really at the supernatural space. And, and, and today I feel like we can now build off that and go a little bit more specific. And something that is abundantly clear that we even learned last week, see, I'm seated today. Last week I failed epically at teaching. I preached at you, I yelled, I looked at some clips back, I was spitting all over the place. So, I'm t- so this stuck me to a chair today. And... Uh, and I plan on doing some teaching really on, on what we eliminated last week is that the Bible is emphatic on the reality of angels, both within the divine council and also within other realms. Now, now I want you just to get your notes out and start taking notes together because you're gonna need them this week in your midweeks as you connect with your fellow parishioners. Uh, you're gonna need to have on hand a solid argument when they start telling their stories about their experiences with angels. And angels, what we'll find in their existence or in their purpose, have been a point of fascination, I think, for the church for really a long time as as a function, a fascination and a speculation pretty much for the modern church that really over the years have developed some myths uh, concerning angel activity. Myths that I feel we should address before we can build a robust angelology. So how many people are with me that to warm things up, we should bust some angel myths this morning? I think this is the best way to approach a teaching and a solid foundation and understanding from Scripture about angels. We should get to the, the thoughts, the ideas that have, that have permeated Christian society for a long time. So I'm just gonna give you a couple of myths that we could talk about. Firstly, it's somewhat important to know that while angels are spiritual beings, Angels are not eternal beings. Okay, it's important to know that angels had a beginning and they were created by God. However, what we do see in Luke 20, 36 is that while they are immortal, that immortality is completely contingent on God's authority and God's pleasure. So it is a It is an immortality that's placed by God that is restricted by God. So while angels aren't necessarily subject to time and and, and in terms of aging, they do exist within a determined boundary set by God. They have a start. Some of them have an end determined by God and dependent on their activity within the boundaries and the borders that God sets for them. Secondly, while angels are angelic and at times they do radiate as the Bible says, reveals us they are not perfect beings. This means that angels are fallible, which ultimately reveals that they they possess the, the ability to rebel against God because spiritual beings like humans are made with free will. We see this in Job chapter 4, verse 17 to 18, and it was not just limited to the fall in Genesis chapter 6, that, that, that angels have the ability to go uh, a little crazy, okay? If they choose not to be obedient to the statutes of God. That's where their immortality begins to be limited. Thirdly, I'm just trying to warm you up this morning. Angels don't have wings and they ain't female. Actually, they're not male either. But truthfully, angels are not male or female because they're not gendered since they're spirit beings and gender is a biological attribute. However, when angels assume a visible form and flesh to interact with with humans in the seen realm, Scripture always has them as male. Now, as I said, 
Angels don't have wings. Some of you are really disappointed at the moment. I feel attention. This is because uh, the term angel is actually more of a, it's more of a, a job description of a particular spiritual being. Angel is, I want you to approach the idea of the term angel more like a, a specific job description amongst all the spiritual beings in the unseen realm. It's a clarification of a specific task and a specific job description. Now, now that's not to say that other spiritual beings like cherubim and seraphim don't have wings because they do, but it simply suggests that angels who have a different task and a specific task do not. In fact, what might be helpful as I can see your blank faces staring back at me with somewhat of a disappointed look, uh, maybe it's just because I'm teaching, uh, uh, maybe it'd be helpful to look at the different types of spiritual beings and we can maybe, maybe often just clump all of the spiritual beings into one category and we just call them all angels. But maybe by defining them and looking at the different types of spiritual beings, it may help us understand better the purpose of angels. How many people think it might help them just a little bit to get a little bit deeper clarity? Uh, all right, so, so let's, let's kind of, let's take this approach. Let's look at angel, the word ang angel. Angel in the English Word for, is, is an English word for, for really deprived from the Greek word angelos that, that comes from the Hebrew term malachim, which means messenger. Okay, I'm gonna not go too deep on the language, the Hebrew and the Greek. I'm not trying to flex my knowledge on you. I'm just trying to get us to an understanding of where the terms come from and ultimately kind of begin to build a pathway where we can understand what's the purpose of angels today. In my life, why do I need to know this stuff? Can I just read the word angels and categorize it as an ancient story that happened and go, cool, that happened back then? This is one of the problems of the modern church when you begin to categorize things within the Bible that it happened back then and not today. That you begin to read the Bible as a historical text and not a relevant word of God and what God is able to do in the here and now. And then your understanding of the miraculous begins to diminish and you begin to match the miraculous with what I see around me and my reality. Rather than acknowledging that if God did it, then He can do it today. So it's going to be very important for us to take a teaching on the Bible and the biblical view around angel spiritual beings just so that we can know what's possible with God that there is a lot that is possible with God. Now, now, now what you need to understand with the, the Malachim or the angel has different, uh, a different task than say the cherubim or the seraphim, which you know about. If you were to name types of angels, cherubim would probably come up. We often have this image of a cherubim being like a little baby angel with tiny little wings shooting arrows at people, making them fall in love. Uh, that's not the function of a cherubim. In fact, if, an, if a cherubim shot an arrow, you'd be very terrified. Because these are a very peculiarly described angel, spiritual being within the Bible. Not only do all the spiritual beings have distinct tasks, each of them have a distinct description in Scripture with regards to their appearance. For example, the cherubim and the seraphim have, have similar tasks and similar functions as the guardians of God's presence. Their appearance is, is, is vastly different to the angels and are, are actually viewed as a blessing and protection to those who are welcome within the sacred spaces of God's presence. But they're also an absolute terror to those who are unwelcome. It's, the, it's, like, it's like the bouncer at the club. <laughs> That if you have access, that big beastly person, that's a protector of everybody inside that specific club. But if, if you don't have access, you're very terrified. <laughs> you see, both are said to have wings, though they vary in how many wings they have. Cherubim are pictured to have four wings and are at times assigned four faces with both human and bovine kind of imagery or body parts. Check it out. Let me, let me show you from Scripture. Ezekiel chapter 1. Uh, verse four, it says, I looked, is Ezekiel saying this, and I saw a windstorm coming out of the north, an immense cloud with flashing lightning and surrounded by a brilliant light. The center of the fire looked like a glowing metal. 
And in the fire was what looked like four living creatures. In appearance, their form was that of a man, but each of them had four faces and four wings. Their legs were straight and their feet were like those of a calf and gleamed like burnished bronze. Under their wings on their four sides, they had the wings at the hands of a man, sorry. All four of them had faces and wings and their wings touched one another. Each one went straight ahead and they did not turn as they moved. I know what image you're getting. All the artists here are going crazy with just some thoughts and how they're going to paint this. Ezekiel chapter, go down to verse 14. It says, each one of the cherubim had four faces. One face that was that of a cherub. Uh, the second, the face of a man. The third, the face of a lion. And the fourth, the face of an eagle. So, so this is the picture that we have. Uh, sometimes we've got the picture like Voxgen with like nice little halos and cute little wings. Ain't nothing cute about this looking angel to me. Now the Bible also reveals that two cherubim were crafted on the top of the Ark of the Covenant with their wings touching, creating the mercy seat. Genesis also reveals that, that, that God set two cherubim to protect the garden in the east. That when Adam and Eve were expelled from the garden, He put two cherubim there to protect its entrance and to stop anybody from entering into the Garden of Eden. Now seraphim, am I going too fast for you? I'm gonna make sure we've got, we've got some ground to cover. Seraphim is actually the plural form of a seraph. Seraphim means many seraphs. A Hebrew word that is actually translated as snake. Now trust, trust me, I've been getting my Hebrew right because we've got Hebrew speaking people in our church and I do not want to look like a fool to them. So trust me, I've been, I've been researching this. But, but, but seraph is the Hebrew word for, for snake. So the seraphim are serpentine in their image, which is interesting when you know their function. Because while the cherubim are positioned at the boundary between the sacred and the profane to protect the holy spaces from contamination, both protect the sanctity of God's presence as an assigned and functional role. So the seraphim are described as having six wings, okay? And they're constantly in worship as they attend the throne of God. And each time they kind of move around the throne, they call to each other, holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. The whole earth is filled with His glory. This is what they repeat each time they kind of revolve around the throne of God. They see a new asset, dimensional facet of God, causing them to call out to one each other, holy is the Lord, as an expression. It's an expression they can't keep contained. They keep crying that that praise that they emit creates a, a, an atmosphere of praise within the throne room of God. And, and they have a fascinating description as well. But the, the spiritual beings, you need to understand, they're different from the Malachim or the angels as we know. For example, angels are messengers who are both sent with a message and bring back a message or a report to God and to the divine council. Angels are described throughout the Bible uh, with similar appearance to men or humans. As humans can be more or less assumed uh, by them, that's what they can, they can do. Someone's checking with Siri, I think, just on my message, uh, just making sure. Is he preaching the right stuff? In addition to being messengers, Scripture also reveals angels as ministers. It's what we see with both Jesus when he was in the wilderness uh, being tempted by the devil. It says that angels came and ministered to him. We see it with Paul when he was in prison as well. Angels are not just messengers, they're not just ministers, but the Bible describes them as watchers as well. Watchers as they monitor the activity on earth. Yes, you're being watched. Okay. Thought you'd be more terrified about that, but obviously you're all holy people and fine with that. Okay. I just thought someone would at least freak out and then we'd know who to pray for. Okay, keeping it cool. All right. Angels, however, never described as having inhumane features like wings or multiple faces. So while cherubim and seraphim have the ability to possess human traits, angels do not have creature uh, attributes or abilities. Scholars conclude then that angels uh, that are sent to earth uh, to interact with people actually look a lot like people. In fact, just to trip you out, (laughs) Hebrews chapter 13 Verse 1 says this, keep on loving each other as brothers. And do not forget to 
entertain strangers, for by doing so, some people have entertained angels without knowing it. Just look around. Who do you think they are? <laughs> some wives are pointing to their husbands. Nice, well done, well done. Yep, well done. Cute, cute. You know, I also must mention that there is a hierarchy to angels. Are you staying with me? For instance, in the Bible, we've got two uh, named angels. The only two angels in the Bible that are named in Scripture, Gabriel and Michael, that are archangels. So while Gabriel is attributed to the job of interpreting a vision for Daniel and bringing a message from God, and he also gets the, the privilege of announcing to Zachariah and to Mary the birth of John and, and, and Jesus, Michael is, on the other hand, referred to as a warring angel since he assisted Gabriel in the warfare against the prince of Persia. Now, the prince of Persia, not being a physical prince, but a spiritual principality or a demonic power over a territory. We'll get to that next week. So, so, so Gabriel, what we have, could, could deliver his message to Daniel. This is why we have the warring angel come and intercept so that Gabriel's message could get through that was being prevented or held up. I'm trying to give you some background because I really want to get somewhere with this message because sometimes you might think, that's cool teaching. I already knew that, Pastor. Or, yeah, I could have figured that out on my own. Well, well, there's a lot more detail to angels that I think are pertinent to our understanding or what's actually more important because while there is so much more detail that we could go into in a teaching around angels, for the sake of our time together, I really want to focus on a specific angel. I want to spend our time unpacking what it means for us to understand that there is the reality of angels in and around our life as the people of God. And I want to do that with Acts chapter 12 in view. Because for context, what we've got here is we've got, it's so hard to stay seated. <laughs> I don't know how people do this. Uh, what, we've, what we've got in, in the Scripture, in Acts chapter 12, is a crazy situation. In fact, there's so much persecution coming on the church. You've got, you've got a great wave of persecution because there was so much momentum happening within the church. I mean, we've got the, the believers that were being mobilised. We've got Peter just, just previously, he had like Cornelius to Christ and his entire family, a Roman officer. And, and not only did they lead him to Christ, they filled him with the Holy Spirit. Gentiles had started to receive the Holy Spirit. Up until this time, it had just been the Jewish people, and now the Holy Spirit was being poured out onto Gentiles. This was crazy stuff for the early church. Just previous to Acts chapter 12, too, we see such a move of God in Antioch that they actually, for the first time, assigned the term Christians to the believers, calling them little Christs. It's like, it's like little anointed ones running everywhere performing miracles and praying for people and seeing people healed and miracles happening. It's not just like Jesus, the anointed one, Christ, but there's little Christ everywhere. And so they started to call them Christians. This is the kind of, uh, of stuff that was happening within the early church. And as a result, Herod, as a people pleaser, as a technically a government official, yes, a king, but a government official, like most government officials, were just pushing policy to get favour from the people. This is what we have here, not really a convicted policy to help uh, anything, but to actually get favour with the people. So he kills John's brother James and saw how happy that made the people. So he says, let me keep doing this. I'll stay in office. And so then arrests Peter, now we've got Peter in prison, chained in between prison guards. And check it out. Most likely two guards chained between and an angel not only appears in the cell, but this is cool, also pokes Peter. I find that a fascinating inclusion. It's an important inclusion, in fact, when you have a building an angelology, because sometimes you might just think an angel's a mist or just a light or, or not actually has a function. But this reveals that angels actually have a physical function on earth as well. Let me go back to verse 7, because this is important as we begin to unpack this. Suddenly, there was a bright light in the cell, and an angel of the Lord stood before Peter. An angel struck him on the side to waken him and said, quick, get up. And the chains fell off his wrists. Here we have a pretty fantastic angel experience. 
where, where not only do we have an angel physically interacting with Peter, but somehow releasing him from his physical bonds. And then check this out, instructs him on the next steps in his plan to free him. He says, verse eight, then the angel told him, get dressed. That's good instruction. How, how appropriate. Don't walk out in, in those clothes. Walk out, you know, with dress. Put on your sandals. And he did. Now, Peter, put on your coat. It's cold outside. I, I, I'm just fascinated by the Bible. And, and follow me. The angel ordered. So Peter left the cell following the angels, but the whole time he thought it was a vision uh, and didn't realize it was actually happening. This for me is a classic picture of Peter. <laughs> and the more you get, begin to read the Bible, you, you almost intimately know the disciples, their characteristics. And this is so Peter. So Peter. This is Peter that fell asleep when Jesus was praying. This is the, the Peter that would, you know, say the silly things. And I just... Like maybe you know someone in your world like Peter who is definitely going to feel like they're asleep, like just going along, like, yeah, okay, walking out. Like I just get this amazing, I want someone to make a movie of this because it would be so fascinating to portray Peter literally getting set free. Everyone else is asleep. I must be sleeping, but I'll go with it. I'll just go with it. All right, I'll put my coat on as well. Okay, and he literally walks out. Now I love this. Because it makes it very clear that as Peter, as Peter was going into prison, it literally says that people were praying. People were praying. When he comes out of the prison and the angel that was leading him disappears, he comes to his senses and goes, oh, I'm actually out. <laughs> his first response is, I'll go to where the believers are praying. There was a pattern to the place where they would pray when the church needed to come together. When the church needed to move something supernaturally, the early church were really familiar with the power of prayer because they gathered for prayer. So much so that Peter knew where they would be. He knew it. He knew exactly where they would be. And, and I love the story because as he goes, he literally knocks on the door. We know poor Rhoda who goes down in history for not actually opening the door, but just going, oh, it's Peter, and runs back in. Now, now, what's fascinating to me out of this story is that when the young girl tries to convince all the believers that Peter was actually at the door, it was easier for them to believe it was his angel than it was Peter. Like, I would think the story would go, hey, I think Peter's angel's at the door. And they say, oh, you silly girl, it's probably just Peter. But no, they're like, oh, couldn't be, must be his angel. The only thing that tells me is that within the early church, angel interactions were a familiar or expected occurrence. That there was a level of familiarity or expectation that within the early church, that 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 angels were, were already a part of their understanding in the way God works on the earth. That in their mission, because the church was on mission, the church was being mobilised, the church was moving in power, and there was opposition to the church. Do not get me wrong, the enemy will hold up a standard and try and prevent the people of God from pressing forward and claiming territory of Him. And so he holds up a standard and what we see is there was a spiritual uh, opposition, there was also a physical opposition. James was killed. There's serious consequences in this kingdom thing, okay? This ain't just cute, fluffy prayers. This is powerful stuff. This is physical and spiritual stuff. Remember, the realms are linked. They're not separate. They're not individual. They, they, they are connected. They are intertwined in the way they outwork the purpose of God. And so what you've got to understand here is that Peter was, was aware and the early church were aware that the presence of angelic forces and spiritual forces were, were predominantly active within the early church to the point that they were convinced must be Peter's, Peter's angel. My response is someone answer the door. But Peter keeps knocking. They, they say, you're out of your mind, verse 15, when she insisted. And they decided it must be his angel. They had a little meeting. Who could it be? Be still. Knocking and saying, let me in. 
because you don't know someone's voice from a knock. It's like, let me in, guys. I'm here. It's Peter. And like, Scobby is angel. This is crazy to me. Can you notice some language that it must be his angel? Interesting phrase. Because there's one more type of angel I want to look at, which is best described and referred to in Scripture as guardian angels. These are the angels that appear to be what we could categorize or what scholars determine assigned specifically and personally to those who are actively engaged with the purpose of God on earth. Like an advocacy role, a guardian angel protects, a guardian angel provides supernatural intervention and prevention and rescues within the human sphere or natural realm. There is is no indication that everybody gets a guardian angel. Like sometimes there's another myth we could bust, like, you know, you've got a guardian angel. There's no actual scriptural connection that just, just because you're a Christian, you get a guardian angel. Just because you've decided to follow Christ doesn't mean you get a guardian angel. But those who are on the purpose for Christ, God will assign His angels and spiritual realm to partner with you to ensure that you achieve the purpose that you are on. Are you with me? I'm just trying to look for some... I know it's hard to say amen in these teachings, but just nod like you're with me so I can keep the pace or slow it back. I will wind it right back. I will go like a slow Southern preacher if you need me to. I will speak really slowly. See, we got is Peter's angel, which is literally referred to as Peter's angel, and opens the prison doors and releases Peter from prison because Peter was on the purpose of God. Peter was making moves. Peter had just broken into new territory, Gentile territory. Like, like, like the opposition didn't happen until he broke into new territory. As long as it stayed within the Jewish believers, that was already God's territory. They were already God's people. But the moment he went out of what was already God's territory into the, the, the territory that was assigned, the devil assigned to himself, we see an incredible wave of persecution. Resistance is what you could call it against Peter, and, and we see then God partner an angel with, with Peter. Fascinatingly enough, just as we see that the angel opened Peter's prison door and released him from prison, we see that Jesus had an angel roll away the stone at the tomb at his resurrection as well. In fact, let me show you something in Psalm 91, because Psalm 91 reveals how God assesses who to partner his angels with. In Psalm 91, it says this in verse 11, for he, being God, will command his angels concerning you to guard you in all your ways. They will lift you up in their hands so that you will not strike your foot against the stone. You will tread upon the lion and the cobra and you will trample on the great lion and the serpent. Because he loves me, says the Lord, I will rescue him, I will protect him for he acknowledges my name. He will call upon me and I will answer him. I I will be with him in trouble. I will deliver him and honour him. With long life, I will satisfy him and show him my salvation. So so, so what you've got here, I love this. He will command his angels concerning uh, to guard you. To guard you. And And then we see the first section is saying what God will do. I will send my angels. The second section from 14 to 15 says why? Because he loves me. So those that love the Lord, now let's connect this with Peter. Remember after the resurrection, we see that Peter's dejected because he pretty much denied Christ. And then we see a moment around cooking fish where where Jesus says, Peter, do you love me? He says, yes, Lord, I love you guys. I don't feed my sheep. Again, he says, do you love me? He's like, yes, Lord, I love you. Feed my sheep. A third time, to mirror three denials. He wants three affirmations. Peter, do you love me? He says, all this time, he's like, Lord, you know I love you. He says, then feed my sheep. See, to love the Lord is not just to say I love you. It's to do His purpose on the earth. 
It's to be obedient to what He commands. Love is a verb. <laughs> Love is a doing word. Love is an action word. So love is not just a simple affirmation. I love the Lord, give me an angel. No, God says, those who love me are gonna partner with me in my purpose. They're gonna feed my sheep. They're gonna go on the purpose. And those who are on the purpose, I'm gonna assign angelic protection. I am gonna, I'm gonna put the forces of heaven. I'm gonna provide what I've got in the spiritual realm to partner with you. So if you want an angel... I'm just preaching the Bible. This is my, I didn't make this up. So the awareness of angels. This, this is important, the awareness of angels. We've just established that angels exist. And ultimately, the awareness of angels and the understanding that they exist to assist us in achieving God's purpose in establishing His kingdom on earth, redeeming humanity, extending Eden, as we learned last week, that can only result in an increased activity on our part. Like when you begin to go down this journey of understanding spiritual realms and the purpose we're preaching this series ain't just so that we can get our head knowledge on so that the next time we're around family members, we can start flexing on them and start talking about, do you know the difference between seraphim and cherubim? <laughs> <laughs> like most Christians do. Like most Christian, oh, get, most Christian knowledge... It's just to flex it on somebody. No purpose to it. No power to it. No one's changed from it. Just so I can show you how deeply spiritual I am. When the reality is knowing this stuff should change some things. Like when you study the living Word of God, it should have an activation element to it. So I dare say that knowing more or having a greater awareness of spiritual beings and spiritual forces on the earth should produce within us a greater activity as a result. Increased activity. That when I realize and I look at the pattern within the Bible, the pattern that, 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 that the presence of angels and angelic forces and spiritual beings is connected and resembled only to people who are actively on purpose for God, I have to make a connection here. Like, like what you're gonna find when you actually read the Bible is look for patterns. Even when interpreting Scripture correctly, using the right application for Greek words and using the right, look for patterns. Look for how consistently it's used and the, and the intention. That way you can actually make sure you use it in context, not out of context. But when you look for a pattern, one pattern that I can give you is that whenever we see angel activity connected with human activity, it's always an aligned purpose. It's always an aligned purpose. In all of my study, there is no passage that says, and, and John was just chilling. Just chatting it up with an angel. Wouldn't that be great though? Melanie was just cooking dinner and just talking about the unseen realm with the angel. No, it doesn't, there's no, it's not just for no purpose. There's a specific purpose with angel activity. What kind of activity? That's the question. What kind of activity? Well, something to notice in this passage with Peter in Acts chapter 12 is a pattern emerging, as we just saw, with, with, with angel activity. In fact, let's, let's go back, let's just for a moment go back to the Old Testament with Daniel. Daniel. I'm sure most of us are aware of the story of, of Daniel in the lion's den, right? In Daniel chapter 6, verse 21. Well, sometimes we forget that the very reason he was thrown into prison was, was or into the den, not even prison, it's worse, into the lion's den, was for praying, right? So, so the king had just tricked, uh, had been tricked into making a proclamation and, and a law that it was illegal to pray to Yahweh, okay? The, the Israelite God. However, Daniel, such a boss, he literally decides, okay, I'm gonna step up my prayer and I'm gonna do it in public. So he opens his window and it was like a, like a bougie apartment because it overlooked like, like the town square because he was an important dude, by the way. And so he's like, you know what? This is the best spot. Opens his window and he goes three times just to kind of rub it in their face. I'm gonna pray three times. And, and, and as a result, he gets thrown into the lion's den. 
but, but an angel of the Lord came and, and the Bible says, closed the mouths of the lions. Because well, then he prays again. Now, if we go a few chapters further into Daniel, we see Daniel's prayers appealed to God that activated angels. Check it out. Daniel chapter 9, verse 21. As I was praying, Gabriel, whom I had seen in the earlier vision, came swiftly to me at the time of the evening sacrifice. He explained to me, Daniel, I have come here to give you insight and understanding. Check this out, verse 23. The moment you began praying, a command was given. The moment, the moment you began praying, a command was given. Like, the, not just like, well, because you laboured for all this time in prayer. No, the very moment you began praying, the very moment on earth you began praying, in heaven, from the highest order, a command was issued. And now I'm here to tell you what it was for you are very precious to God. Listen carefully so that you can understand the meaning of your vision. Now, now, now sit down for a second. I'm still preaching. I'm still teaching. Still teaching. It's not that we command angels. Scripture doesn't give you that ability. It's actually, you're kind of like peers. You don't pray to angels either, by the way. In fact, there's actually in Revelation when John meets the angel, he bows down and the angel literally says, hey, bro, get up. It's like nervous, like, hey, whoa, no, no, get up here, man. I'm not him. Literally what the Bible says. Two times, two times. And another vision, an angel comes and John does his thing, oh, and he goes, oh, bro, hey, 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 hey. Hey, come here, buddy. And, uh, because we're like peers at the moment, at the moment. And so what we've got is this understanding is that we don't command angels. However, when we pray, we appeal to God who commands angels and commissions angels in align with our purpose. Jump over to verse 12, chapter 10, verse 12. It says, then he said, don't be afraid, Daniel. Since the first day you began to pray for understanding and to humble yourself before God, your request has been heard in heaven. I have come in answer to your prayer. Now check this out, check this out. What we establish here is that the first moment he started praying, God commanded his angels. Instantaneous. But since the first day he started praying, I've been on my way. Verse 13, but for 21 days, the spirit prince of the kingdom of Persia blocked my way. Then Michael, one of the archangels, came to help me, and I left him there with the spirit prince of the kingdom of Persia. So check this out. You've got Daniel begins praying. You got the moment he starts praying, God commands his angels instantly. But then you've got this demonic principality that's preventing and trying to block God's purpose. So often we start praying, and because we don't see it work, we stop. We stop. I prayed for that. Prayed for that. Didn't see anything. See, now you're aware that there is activity. I can't wait till we get to Spiritual Warfare Week. I'm gonna equip you church with some tools. But there is this activity that's happening that's also trying to block what you're trying to get through. So for 21 days, some of you can't even pray for 21 minutes. Wondering when's this miracle gonna take place. For 21 days, then just pray. And Gabriel comes and says, I'm so glad you kept praying because, because that prayer consistently commissioned Michael, who's the warring angel, to come in to intercept the principality of Persia so that I could get here. Michael's still there fighting. Like Michael's still, still fighting. Check this out, verse 20. He replied, do you know why I've come? Soon I must return to fight against the spirit prince of the kingdom of Persia. And after that, the spirit prince of the kingdom of Greece will come, go fight him too. Meanwhile, I'll tell you what's written in the book of truth. Check this out. No one helps me against these spirit princes except Michael, your spirit prince. 
There's an assignment. Yes, There's an assignment. Notice the assignment of Michael to Daniel as your spirit prince. Daniel got an archangel, that's pretty cool. <laughs> but Daniel was also very precious to God. I know we're all precious to God. But there's something extra precious about those who are really moving the kingdom forward that God's like, no, no, he, he, needs, he needs my warring archangel. He needs one of the divine council members to, to be there. He, he needs, he's Michael. So, so, so we got, so He sends your spirit. Now as we close, let's come back to Acts chapter 12 for a second because as Peter was praying, being taken, as he was being taken to prison, the believers were praying, sorry. That's cool, that's a good pattern. That's when the angel turns up. So as soon as they heard the report that Peter was arrested, they started praying. So prayer is our first response, not our last resort. This is important. Would you write that down? Prayer is our first response. Not like, well, what else can we do? Well, I guess we should pray. For too long, the church has treated prayer like, well, Amen. I guess the last thing we do is pray. Like it's like a, almost, Amen. well, I don't have an answer for you, but we'll pray. No, I might have a ton of answers, but my first thing is pray. Because prayer is potent and powerful and prayer shifts things. So the moment they hear Peter is arrested, the believers say, we know what to do. We ain't gonna get on Facebook and say, well, we don't really agree with this uh, political person and we're gonna, we don't believe that this should be the action of things and no, let's start rallying people. No, 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 we're not picketing, we're praying. Now I'm not saying, I'm not saying there's anything wrong with picketing. Go and pick it, but pray first. Pray first, because prayer is your first response. Something shifts, pray. Pray into it. Prayer is powerful. So, so, so as Peter goes into prison, uh, the, the, the believers start praying. When, when Peter arrives at the house, the believers were, were praying. When, when Daniel was in the lion's den, he started to pray. I'm wondering if we're severely missing the significance of prayer in the activation of the supernatural. Huh? I'm, wondering, I'm wondering if we're severely limiting our, our Christian existence, let alone fulfilling the purpose of God. I'm actually convinced that most of us have resigned from the purpose of God on our life because we didn't feel like things were working. But you simply miss the fact that you, you didn't apply prayer as, as, the, as the appeal to heaven to commission angels to be the X factor on your life that will take you from where you are to the breakthrough. I'm getting out of this stinking chair because I need you to understand that prayer is a potent tool in the hands of the saints. What I realise after understanding and studying Scripture is that prayer is real, that angels are real, that there is a spiritual activity, but guess what? It's to partner with me. It's not just to fascinate me. It's not just to be, oh, that's cool. No, it's, I've got to get beyond the surprise. I've got to get the reality. It's there, but what do I do? I'm hoping that as a church, we can get a deep hunger for prayer. Do you know why we're seeing so many miracles in a church? It's because Vive Girl have decided that every week they're gathering for prayer. Every week they gather for prayer. Our brotherhood get together and they pray. Was it the first Sunday of the month? Every first Sunday of the month, the brother, what, like some ridiculous hour. What time is it? 7 a.m. They're getting together and praying. 7 a.m. No breakfast, just prayer. Remember back in the day, you go like, oh, I guess I'll go to a prayer meeting. They have like scones and tea. And so, okay. Forget about the, the niceties. We're going for prayer. We're going to... We're gonna pray and move stuff. We've got so many needs within our community and within our church. We need miracles. So guess what? We're gonna start praying because we are the church of the living God. We are the church of Jesus Christ. We are the church that's shifting things and changing things and moving heaven on earth. We are the church, the body of believers. And we have prayer as a weapon. Prayer that can shift things in a moment. 
the moment we start praying, not, not, not eventually, but the moment we start praying, things happen. Things happen, things happen. If there's a delay, time to step up the prayer, not wind it back. If there's a delay between where you are and the breakthrough, that means increased prayer is required, not less prayer. I think we need to pray. I think we need to pray. I think we need to pray. Come on, 30 seconds, church, just begin to pray right now. What am I praying for? Whatever you need breakthrough in, whatever you feel. And if you don't need breakthrough, pray for the church to be advanced. Come on, 30 seconds, 30 seconds. We're gonna pray as the believers. Pray that we're gonna move heaven, asking God, move your spiritual forces. God, would you move angels, guardian angels, archangels. God, would you move them on the earth and to intercede and intercept. Lord, to prevent, to rescue, to deliver, to heal. Lord, we pray. We pray for healing, we pray for miracles, we pray for breakthrough, we pray for things that only can be attributed to heaven. Lord, we declare by Your stripes we are healed. So God, we apply the victory that is on the cross into situations and circumstances. God, we pray Your power to move in parts of lives. Lord, that the advancement of the church would take place, that the believers would get the revelation like Daniel had, like the early church had, that prayer is potent and powerful. The moment we start praying, things happen. So why would we not pray? Why would we not get a pattern of prayer in our life? A pattern of prayer to say, God, I'm gonna walk with You. Not just come to You when I need something, but God, I, I'm gonna walk with You. I'm gonna... What's interesting in the journey of restoring Eden is what happened in Eden is God walked with Adam. So I dare say the restoration of Eden or the redemption of earth is to actually walk with God. And we know that our job and the conclusion of this series is that we're gonna bring heaven to earth. So why would we wait to heaven to walk with God? Why would we not walk with God right now? Why would we not just walk with God? And talk with God and lay your burdens on Him and receive encouragement from the Lord and receive insight. Just pray. Just pray. Just pray for your co-workers. Pray for their salvation. Pray for your high school. Pray for its radical salvation. To pray. God would move through you. Hey, I hope you were blessed by that message. We release new content every single week here at Vive Church. And so if you don't wanna miss any of it, I would encourage you, go ahead and subscribe. Also visit our website, vivechurch.org to stay up to date with everything that's happening in the life of Vive Church. God bless you.